podcast thank you man sitting here with Malik Beck uh, first and last name Taylor Gray G-R-A-Y <laughs> you gotta say it <laughs> yeah Taylor Gray um, that is your real name yes yes it is it does sound like professional movie star name as you just said <laughs> yeah well my mom my mom says that that's she said it sounded like classy and like mm-hmm. you know I guess it's dope. So is that like your family name? Like, <clears throat> well, no, I'm the only Taylor. Um, obviously, Gray's my family name, but um, that's the thing. It sounds like <laughs> it's really something like a movie star artist name. Yeah. I thought you had created it. No, actually, I had actually teeter tottered between creating a stage name and um, keeping or- my name because I thought that maybe my name sounded too simple, and I guess I wanted to have a little bit of like a, I guess, artistic edge, but. Every time I would introduce myself, you know, they would say, oh, Taylor, great. It sounds like famous. It sounds, you know, mm-hmm. some, some. So I was like, oh, I guess I'm keeping it, you know. Thanks, Mama. Options. Thanks, Dad. Um, T.O. Um, the name of my album is called T.O. Yeah, yeah. I've it on my back because that was my childhood nickname. Um, I couldn't call, I couldn't say my own name um, when I was little. So, mm-hmm. like, I would refer to myself as T.O. And so my family, like, my close family, my cousins and my sisters and my parents say T.O., and so I officially actually released a song under the name T.O., but mm-hmm. I, it's like I knew I made the wrong decision. So like I literally like took the song off Spotify and re-put it on Spotify as um, Taylor Gray. Mm-hmm. So, and I felt a lot more comfortable with that and just naming the album T.O. because, you know, I feel like it's a reflection of, you know, here's where I've been. This is, I'm still T.O., I'm still me, but, you know, I'm changing and I'm grown up now, but it doesn't mean I'm any different in terms of like who I am as a person and what I want out of life. But Taylor Gray, I don't know. It's I don't know. It's a part of me, you know. I've always been Taylor Gray to everybody. So mm-hmm. why change? Why stray from that? You know. Exactly. Yeah. That's your name. Mm-hmm. Um. So I wanted to say you're all around master of everything. As we were <laughs> talking in the elevator, you are 24. Yes. I didn't know that. I didn't know you were older than me. How old are you? I'm 22. I knew you were older than me, but I didn't know you were 24. Um. <laughs> you're a law student. Yeah. But you're a graduate. Was it? You're like getting your master's? Oh, no, no, no. I'm just getting my JD. I graduated from uh, Kelly School of Business at Indiana University in okay. 2015. Went straight to law school here uh, in Chicago. Uh, I go to Loyola. I'm a third year now, so I'll be pa- taking the bar exam next year. So I'm just living the double life, you know, mm-hmm. like lawyer by day, musician by night. Okay. Um, hustling, you know, out here. So like last night, um, so I worked at as a law clerk for my job at a law firm yesterday all day and then I went to the editing bay right after that and I was I was there to like one in the morning editing my next music video that's gonna be coming out on the 7th of October called Divine Intervention it's like I do that all day every day you know I work and then I play and to me music is play even though it's technically still work (laughs) technically I've been seeing the numbers yeah I mean they okay you know (laughs) I just moved to Chicago two years ago and um, I put a project out immediately because I had been working on it up to that point, but I don't feel like I had enough creative um, influence. I hadn't really challenged myself creatively. Um, moving to Chicago really put me in a space where I was like, yo, like, people are out here really being themselves. There's a difference between like Indiana being yourself and mm-hmm. Chicago being yourself because in Chicago, 
I don't know, there's just more people, so there's more flavors, there's mm-hmm. more culture. Um, and you, you find yourself, you know, ground, you ground yourself a lot in that. And, you know, I was really shy about that. And I was very timid, even though my last project was called Unapologetically Me. I felt mm-hmm. like it was a little premature in hindsight. And being in Chicago, I just really started seeing that. And I had to challenge myself to break out of my typical mold. I used to only listen to 90s music, only. Like, ask anybody, Mariah Carey, Maxwell, Usher, Mariah Carey, Maxwell, Usher, Boys to Men. So it's like, yes, those are like my favorite people, but, you know. You were only in that bubble. Yes. Of, that's what you were listening to, that hub. Exactly. And so this year, I feel like I really made a commitment to putting myself out there. I started background singing for L.A. Van Gogh. Check him out, everybody. Um, he's amazing. He's really popular on Spotify, and he's just really out here doing stuff. And he gave me an opportunity. Um, and because of him, you know, I started networking with more musicians and more artists, more photographers models, fashion designers, things like that. And, you know, I've just been really going in the studio and it's been giving me that extra drive to really push my envelope, you know, past the comfortable territory into things that I didn't even realize that I liked before. So the numbers are a reflection, really, I feel like, of old me. This new album that's coming out is going to be, I feel like, the real test in seeing how much my work is paying off. So thank you, though, seriously. I know that was a tangent, but, like, I felt like I had to say that. (laughs) No, but, I mean, you noticed it because you're the artist. Right, and as an independent artist, you know, like, everything is on you. So, mm-hmm. you know, I pay for the studio time. I, you know, book myself for anything. I write all my songs. That's what I, I wanted to know. All that. Are you, do you have a manager? Are there a label? No, wow. I don't. Um, you know, I'm, a, I'm not opposed to a manager. Problem is, I will not take just anybody as a manager. So I'm not going to take somebody that, you know doesn't have any connections and it's just taking a percentage because what's going to happen when we're not getting any gigs, you know, how am I going to pay you? Mm-hmm. And then there's a problem with that. Also, you're not going to, I don't want to take, I don't want to, you know, be managed by somebody that has a ton of people on their roster and will put me like bottom of the bucket. So until I find, I think the solid person that really trusts me and can help push me in a collaborative manner, then I'm not going to use a manager. I'm just going to wing it myself because, you know, it's my creativity, it's my art, it's my passion. I don't want to suck that out of anything yet. You know, it's still really early for me. Mm-hmm. I've only been I've only been making my own music for about two years now. Okay. Yeah. So I want to know, um, what part of Indiana are you from? Indianapolis. Indianapolis. Yeah. Um, that transition, growing up there from in, in Indianapolis, and then what is it like, actually, before you even say coming to Chicago, what is it like? Living in Indianapolis? Yeah. I mean, it was a great place to grow up. Um... Indianapolis. I always knew I was going to leave. Always. It's not to say I didn't like Indianapolis because I think it's a great place, or at least it was. You know, crime's really taken over a little bit over there, but um, growing up in the 90s and the 2000s, it was a really great place to raise a family. Public school systems were super diverse. So um, I went to a high school that was like 70% African American and like 10% Hispanic and like you know, we just had a lot going on, and we, and you know, I was never the only mixed kid, so being, you know, mixed wasn't something that was a problem to anybody. You know, I was never treated really badly for it. So, I mean, I always really enjoyed that part of Indianapolis. That I felt that my heritage was respected and wasn't the subject of everybody's conversation mm-hmm. um, until I moved to college. Really, when I went to a, a school that was like four percent African American, including multiracials, I believe. So. Yeah, um, Indianapolis was a great place, I think, just to feel comfortable, but that's not good when you're an artist and you like music and you want to 
you know, be you a solo artist, you need to break out of your comfort zone. Exactly. There's a quote that I um, always live, try to live by when I'm like feeling like, you know, uncomfortable. And it says, you know, life begins at the end of your comfort zone. So like, you're not living if you're comfortable. Once you expand that, you know, that's when you start really experiencing and living. So what's, did you, can you say you lived if you just, you know, stayed at home, had the same three friends, did the same thing every day, ate at the same restaurant every Friday? Or did you live because you, you know, decided to go bungee jumping one day or you decided to just do something you never thought you could do but you wanted to do? So Indianapolis wasn't the place for me to do that. Indianapolis was the place for me to stay comfortable and just, you know, you mm -hmm. know, here's my life. But I always knew that bigger and better was what I wanted. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Then you moved to Chicago and then had, was it harder moving to Chicago? I mean, did you know anybody when you moved here? No, um, I didn't really know anybody. I had one friend, thanks to Twitter, his name is Elijah Hawkins, and um, he was the only person I knew, really. I'm trying to think. I, uh, that's not true. I had a couple people that I'd known from college that had moved up here, um, like my friend Joe, but just a couple people. And um, they had already had their lives settled because they were older than me. So it's hard to really break into Chicago in terms of the social circles when you're on your own. I had to, you know, kind of live my life in law school and make some connections there and um, slowly dip my foot in, like, the creative pool as time went along. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people in Chicago stay in Chicago because there's so much opportunity here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of people that grew up together and are in collectives now. And um, you can't just be like, yo, you know, y'all 21, y'all been together since the fourth grade. Here I am. Like, let me join you guys. Like, exactly. let me, let's work together. No one's going to do that. No one's going to be down for that because... Why? So Chicago was hard in the sense of just breaking in. Mm -hmm. and um, But once you're in or getting in there, it gets a lot more fun. You know, I've met a lot of amazing people. And you'd be surprised how supportive Chicago artists are of each other. I think that's underrated. How It's not talked about enough. People in Chicago really support each other. That's true. Yeah. So I want to ask um, a question. Well, I want to go backwards before I get into your new music. Okay. I was looking at last night and then early this morning. Code Red. Uh, yeah. I watched the video for that. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. <laughs> um, when did you, I said 2016, uh, the video. No, that was 2015. No, it was December, December 23rd, 2015 was when you're it right, came out. You're right. 2015. Because yeah. uh, it, it was in December. Yeah, it was like Christmas Eve, Eve. Mm -hmm. I couldn't wait. And I was going on a cruise on Christmas, mm -hmm. and I was going to be out of the country until the next year, mm -hmm. until past New Year's. And I was like, I'm putting this out, you know. I, it was. It took a long time to edit because um, my friend Tyler Conrad, who directed it, he's he has a lot of projects he takes on. So um, it was just one of many he was going through, and it was a really. Um, it was my first like multi scene music video. Yeah. So uh, I, when it came in, I was like, "Whoa, green light, let's go, throw it out there." You know, I hope people like it, and surprisingly, people did. Honestly, I was, I really thought people were not gonna like it. I don't I, know why. I was really like surprised because I'm like, "This is really good." Because I was like, "Let me <laughs> check this out." Um, I really enjoyed it, but I can tell it had that '90s vibe to it, but yeah. not so much. Like it had, you have your own vibe. But, really? Yeah, cool. I really enjoyed you. it. <laughs> you just have this energy. Like, you know, everybody else is like, oh, man, this is good. You know, in the dancing, but you're just, like, really energetic. Like, yeah, that's you, true. You can tell, like, this is, like, your first video, kind of, like, that's about to blow up, and you're just really energetic about it. So what's <laughs> that feeling of, like, this is my video that's I want everybody else to see? Woo! Oh, my gosh. Um, 
I was terrified. Because I don't know. I'm not I'm like never in front of the camera, as you can see. You know, that was actually a really fun video shoot because I invited all of my friends. I went back to my alma mater, Indiana University, mm -hmm. and I, I'm a member of Sigma Phi Epsilon, which is a fraternity, and they let me use the house, which was amazing. Mm -hmm. Shout out Sig Ep. Thank you, guys. Um, so some of my fraternity brothers, you know, joined in, and then my sister, Ashton, uh, my cousin Sierra, some of my really good friends that also sing and perform, some of my dancing friends because I was on a hip-hop team down there, and some of my singing friends from a group I was in down there as well mm -hmm. joined in, and, you know, I brought some alcohol because not everybody is, you know, comfortable in front of the camera, but I wanted it to look comfortable, so everyone had, like, red solo cups in their hand during the video, and um, I, we choreographed it the day before, actually, like, the dance scene, the dance break. Um, my friend Dayon choreographed it, and, uh, we just, you know, we, we got it together. You know, the day of, you didn't know who was going to show up. You didn't know, you know, what was going to happen. The only thing we had planned was the dance break and the hallway scene I had choreographed in my head a little bit. So I had, like, my sister and some of my female friends mm -hmm. along the walls doing a couple little things. And we shot it in, like, three hours. Not even kidding. It looked good. Yeah, thank you. Like, we had to beat the rain because it was about to rain. Really? So we had to get the outdoor shots quickly. And, um... The house was only empty because um, different. We had like a there was a retreat going on, and mm -hmm. so like a lot of my brothers had been out like somewhere, and uh, so we had the the house for a set period of time, and so we were just like let's go, and that always makes me laugh because I knew I was new because I remember I was setting things up and I was playing the song a little bit. One of my friends was like, "Yo, this song is hot," and I was like. You didn't listen to the song yet? Like, <laughs> like nobody cared yet. I was just, you know, I had just started. Like, everybody makes music. So, yeah. like, and I admit, like, I have to really push myself to listen to everybody's music because, mm -hmm. you know, we all are driving out here and striving. Mm -hmm. And um, I was just one of them. So I knew I was new. I don't know. I was terrified for it. Mm -hmm. um, but... And when I even saw the like final draft, I was like, this is fun. But, you know, I love these people. That's why I like it so much. I still cheese when I watch it. But when I put it out, I didn't think that everyone was going to like it. You had it. that feeling like, okay, this is like friends and family. Yeah. It's, How's everybody it's else cool. going to take it? It's cool to me. Yeah. But is everyone else going to think it's cool? Mm -hmm. And people liked it. You know, I had people like sending it to their friends and their family and their group chats. And people I only know from social media, like in New Orleans and in Germany, it was like really cool. Really? Yeah, you know, because I check the YouTube analytics. I, you know, sometimes, mm -hmm. and it's cool to see what countries people have watched things in. You know, like in like Australia. Oh, it's a continent. I'm not Raven Simone, but um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what I mean, though. Like yeah. Korea or South Korea or like yeah. the Philippines or uh, the UK, Canada. Mm -hmm. I actually get some decent little like like listens in Canada. So it's like, oh yeah. Code Red's my most popular video to date, but I'm really hoping to beat that with Divine Intervention. Like, that's the goal, is to always like push yourself every time. Mm -hmm. You don't want to plateau. You ever hear of, you ever hear of being front-loaded? Like, no. so, I'm not going to name any like artists, because I don't want to seem like I don't like them, but yeah. there's certain artists that like the beginning of their career is the biggest part of their career, and they just can never pass oh, that. Oh, yeah, okay. Even I'm though sure. they might still be popular, they just never hit that point again. Mm -hmm. You know, it's cool to break out huge, but like... Mm -hmm. what's going to take you to the next level and that's why we have people like Beyonce out here because she always does she always pushes herself but not everyone's capable I want to feel like I'm capable of that I'm not going to put out something that I think is a regression from what I just did that's just not happening um, no you brought up great, <laughs> great points <laughs> yeah I know I'm a talker so I probably no. people listening are going to be like 
what, what the hell is he going on? No, but about? I'm understanding what you mean. Like, because me and my friends will talk about it all the time. So <laughs> it's like, that makes so much sense. Um, and I just talked about it with, like, about an artist yesterday. We'll have to talk about it off air. Okay. But um, I want to talk about, was it Pink Skies? Oh, Pink Skies, yeah. I listened to it earlier. And yeah. Then I listened to it, like, ten other times today. Wow, you know, that's might like. be my favorite <laughs> song you've ever created. For real? Wow. My favorite one. I actually really appreciate that. That's not going to be on the album because... We might have to fight in that. No, no, no. There's a reason I can't do it. Why? Because I found that beat online and I was like, oh my gosh, like, woo! I was feeling it because it's like, I don't know. Tell me what you want to do, baby girl. Just tell me what you want to do, baby. Like, you can just ride it. That and, um, has, to me, that has that 90s vibe to it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, right yeah. there is like the epitome of like 90s music. And I was like... Mm-hmm. This right here, if you haven't come out with like any music and you're thinking like, oh, I sound like 90s music, that right there was like, I love it. That was 90s music and that was like amazing. I don't even be thinking that. Like, I was just thinking, oh, this is kind of Neo Soul a little bit. Like, this, it, was exactly. more, it was more vibey than I had done because like I was more vibe. poppy. I was more poppy in my last project because I was just like, I don't know. Honestly, I just didn't know myself yet. And then this, was, was, this one was way more vibey and I was like, okay. But... I showed my sister the beat one time we were on the bus somewhere and she was like, Oh, Jill Scott and I'm like, What? Really? Um, what song is it? Let's take a long walk around the park after die. Like, um, the little beginning of that, they had sped it up and like pitched it up. Oh my and pu- and that was like what was the main part that was the main part of the beat and I never caught it. My sister has an ear. She can hear a song once and know the lyrics. And so she was like, Jill Scott and I was like what the fuck? What, what are you saying Jill Scott for? <laughs> Even though, like, that was low-key the vibe. I was thinking, I was yeah. like, Neo Soul, ooh, ooh. That's why. I can't put it on because if I did, it would be infringing. Yeah. Her material. So, like, I found her people, and I was going to, like, pay for it. Mm-hmm. But I'm a student. I'm broke. I can't. <laughs> for real. I can't. I can't. And I, I just can't. So I threw it on SoundCloud as a B-side to mm-hmm. Divine Intervention for fun. And I was like, if anybody wants to find it, they can listen to it there. And I was so bummed, but, like, I'm trying to see if I can, like, do some kind of caveat to, like, find a way to make the album in a small fashion. Maybe as an interlude or something, so. How did it, know. How did it even come about, like? Pink Skies? Yeah. I just wrote it. I don't know. Like, Pink Skies, it's just, like, I'm, I found the beat, and uh, I sent it to my friend, I think Dexter at the time. Who was that I sent it to? I think Dexter. Dexter Clardy, um, I have a song with him called That's Bay. I'm plugging, I'm, plug, I'm well. plugging everybody. So, um, do your thing. Yeah, so I was like, we were actually going to do like a little, like, couple songs together besides mm-hmm. That's Bay. And that was the beat I was going to write to that. And like, we were going to do it together. And I was like, I sent it to him and I was like, tell me what you want to do, baby girl. Just tell me what you want to do, baby. You know, uh, what you really into? What kind of thing for should move? I'll tell you just what I like. You know, I don't even remember the words sometimes. And I'm a hope it's in sync with your mind. I and I was like, yo, this is oh, 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 this is so different. And then um, I just wrote to it. You know, I write like I only write when I'm feeling it though. Mm-hmm. So I was feeling it heavy, and I was like, let's ri- let me write to this. And so I wrote to it. And then when me and Dexter did that spay, and like the whole project fell through because he got really busy and I got really busy. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, I'm still recording it. Fuck it. And uh, it was the first song that I recorded in anticipation of the new album. It was the first song I made. Wow. So I made that before I made Disposable, before I made Divine Intervention, Pink Skies. And I was thinking about naming the album that. I was thinking of even using that aesthetic for the album cover. I had a lot of, like, 
I was really feeling the color pink at the time. I still love the color pink, but like, I don't know, pink was just like that vibe I, I was feeling mm-hmm. really heavy. And that was in like summer, fall 2016. I checked on your Instagram when you dropped it. Mm-hmm. Um, you said it was featured in a magazine. Was it? I think so. Try to think. I don't want to quote. Oh, the picture was. Um, it was used. Okay, so um, I was featured in something called Off Kilter Magazine, which is like a, basically it curates a lot of like playlists. Okay. And there's also a lot of features from black artists and innovators here in the city of Chicago. Check it out. Off Kilter. Off hyphen Kilter. Mm-hmm. And um, I was asked by my friend Felton, who's one of the like people that creates the magazine, to curate a Spotify playlist. Um, mm-hmm. It could be about anything. So I made a Spotify playlist and I used the Pink Skies cover art as oh. my picture on the, in the magazine article. Mm-hmm. And um, I curated a Spotify playlist that was like basically the the essence of who I am, the essential Taylor Gray. And um, it has like Tamiya, Galant, SZA, Maxwell, um, Jagged Edge, I'm trying to think who else it has in there. It has a lot of artists like um, Eric Benet. It just has a lot of artists that like really shaped who I am and the sound that I have um, today. So yeah, that wasn't Pink Skies necessarily, but um, but the cover, the cover, yeah. So that's what I was wondering. I was like, wait a second, what magazine? Because I, uh, I don't usually get magazine placements. It's I'm still early, so like yeah. I'm hoping with this next project, I'll start to break more into that like thing. I, I love podcasts, and like I'm happy to be doing this. This is my first interview for a podcast. I've had my songs played as like music for podcasts, mm-hmm. but you know I'm trying to get more into like the magazine podcast world because I love it. I love branding. I was a marketing major, so. You no, know, definitely. it's what I do in my free time, figuring out how to brand myself better, <laughs> which means staying off Twitter because I'm a mess. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk about Divine Intervention, the song. Yes, yes. Let's um, do it. I was listening to it earlier, and it's a deep song. You think? Yes. yes. But it's like, Tell me why. Tell me why. I want to hear your perspective. What was it? I had notes, but I have like mental notes. That's the thing. It's deep, but it's in a way of it doesn't just like come out and say it like you're listening to it. And you, it's not like it's hard hitting. Mm-hmm. Like, you know how there's a certain, like, Halo by Beyonce, for mm-hmm. example. That's an emotional song. Yeah. But it sounds emotional right when you turn it on. Divine Intervention doesn't sound emotional when you turn it on. It sounds like just something you could ride to, like, just drive. And, but then it gets, like, emotional but deep a little bit. Not emotional to the, the fact of, like, okay... I'm about to cry, but it's like, wow, <laughs> wow, I could go through this, or wow, I've been through this, so, yeah. what was that, like, writing process, if you could tell us a little bit oh, I love the story of Divine Intervention, because I feel like it's my baby, I really feel like that, like, this, this is the core of my project to me, really, um, I get, I used to write my songs, and then I would get people to produce to the songs I wrote, really, oh my god, tell me, talk about a hard process, it was, I've only heard rappers doing that. Uh, it was in, not, most people don't do it at all because yeah. it's just it's in, it's incredibly tedious because you write a song and then you have it in your head mm-hmm. and then I would be like so for Code Red I was like um, went to my producer Matt Babineau I said this is the guitar lick I want and I had little elements and he made it but that takes a lot of time it's very time consuming and I got tired of it so I said you know what I'm actually do what rappers do I'm gonna take beats I'm gonna flip them and I'm gonna right to the beats mm-hmm. and pimp this shit out. Yeah. So with Divine Intervention, I was actually going through some tough times. I was really um, depressed. And um, 
I was at my best friend's house, Matt Randall. He lives in, he was living in Maine at the time. Um, best friend of like 10 years now. And we were getting ready for a wedding, just kind of lounging around. And I was listening through beats. I was showing him some beats I had for the project, including um, the beat for Disposable. Okay. And he greenlit that. And that's what made me decide to um, use that beat for Disposable. Anyways, I found the beat for Divine Intervention. I was like, ooh, this is cold. It was like a vibe that I needed, like a... 2003 like I was thinking like almost like a like sugar sugar but sped up a little bit mm-hmm. or like something um there's this song that someone sent to me once and it reminded me of it oh, I can't forget the I can't remember the artist it's like Latif nobody knows who that is his name was Latif and he's like you're thinking that everything is fine I'm gonna let you know baby right now that it's not and I was like this reminds me of the song a little bit and that so song sounds familiar yeah um, it's alright. I just and, never known the artist. <laughs> yeah, and so I was in the shower and I was playing that beat on repeat. And I was like, this is putting me in a good mood. And I hadn't been in a good mood in a long time. Like, I, I really hadn't. When I first got into law school, I was starting to get really depressed. Mm-hmm. And I have an anxiety disorder and stuff. So, anyways, um, by the time I got back to uh, Chicago, like, I had already had, I'm in love, I'm in love. I had the chorus in my head already. I had written a little bit to it. And over a course of about a month, I wrote a song. And I never finished that second verse, though. I think I kind of spit that a little freestylish in the studio. But when I took it to the studio, I had a friend come in, and we was just going off. We were like, wow, like this is a hit. Mm-hmm. My, I played it for my Uber driver on the way home. <laughs> Your and, Uber driver? Yeah, it turns out that he was actually a rapper named Trell. And uh, I wasn't going home, I was going to school. But his name was Trell, and I followed him on Spotify, and we're, we're good friends now. But, like, good. you know, like, I was getting, like, good, re- like, good mm-hmm. reviews. And so um, I put it out on my birthday as the audio, you know, and I've got nothing but good reviews. But it's been really understated because most of my songs really spike once I have a video out. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And so, and also my listeners are really, like, skewed. I don't have, like, a... I don't have, like, a main base. Like, I don't have, like, a lot of SoundCloud listeners or, like, a lot of Spotify listeners or a lot of iTunes. Mm-hmm. It's skewed everywhere. So, like, my numbers don't look as big as they really are, which is both good and bad. Like, I really like that I've been able to capitalize on many markets, mm-hmm. but I don't have, like, that. I can't, like, do, like, an exclusive on one because it just doesn't work. I've tried it. Anyways, um, making the video was, like, really fun and... Um, Basically, this song just represents, like, happiness. So, like, when I was at my lowest, this was the song that made me happy. It was the perfect blend of R&B and pop, and it was just good vibes. And it was about kind of like a like a college playing. Like, when you're, like, a friends with benefits with somebody, and you start to catch feelings, and, like, you don't know what to say, but, you know, you're going to tell them anyway. Like, you're just going to put it all out there because, you know, that's what life's all about, putting yourself out there. I think in college I would be the type to not say anything at all, but I think the for the song for me was I'm gonna say this shit anyways and when I make my music I put myself out there in a way that most people don't see me so when I do something that's very sexual or do something that's very explicit mm-hmm. or do something that's kind of like almost like I guess like rude or at, like I guess giving me the image of being like a cocky asshole or something like that that's just like me branching out a little bit and like kind of putting my inner self out there a little bit more um, so the world can see it because I'm willing to do that so other people can feel comfortable doing that. And I felt like Divine Intervention was like an introduction of sorts for myself. I feel like this song and video is going to really place me in the realm of where I stand for music. That's interesting. 
Yeah, uh, it's deep. I know, and so like I guess I feel like my songs is the song lyrically deep. No, but I feel like the point of it is it's like that but moment where like you decide was, to just let all your restrictions go yeah. and just do it. You I know? felt like it was relatable. That was like the biggest thing. Like if you've been through it, it's like yeah, wow, this was relatable into the sense of we've never had this conversation. Mm-hmm. That was the thing. So when you said like most of that, it was. Okay, mm-hmm. these lyrics relate to my life in the past, and I've never talked to Taylor before. <laughs> <laughs> I try not to um, write songs that sound like they've been talked about before. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, I'll never forget when I first heard uh, Stay With Me by Sam Smith. Like, I almost cried when I heard it because I was like, wow, like, I know that feeling. And, like, I don't think I've ever heard a song about, like, you know, like, not, like, hooking up with somebody and, like, you know you don't have feelings for them, but you're just so lonely you don't want them to leave. Like, mm-hmm. no one talked about that to me. I mean, maybe they have, but I hadn't heard that. You just hadn't felt that or something no. like that? Yeah. Or, like, Bad Religion by Frank Ocean, Unrequited Love. I remember when I first heard of the term because of that song, I was like, what? That's what that is? I try to do things like that where it's like, damn, like, this is supposed to be my feels and I could only listen to this song to relate to this specific feeling. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to do that, you know, because... Oh, God, like, we all fall in love. But, like, we all fall in love in different ways, man. Like, and with different people, you know, in different situations. That's true. You know, why does everything have to be the same old, like, oh, baby, take me, like. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) like, and that's where I'm different from the 90s, because I love a good begging track. I love Cisco. I love Jodeci. But, like, that's not gonna that's not gonna fly every time you got to do something different Mm -hmm. so i try to bring back the feel of the old school and what really made me who i am but i try to do it in a perspective that really puts out there like just specific ways i felt before in case someone's felt that too exactly yeah you can tell the progression yeah yeah my first project i don't like i was like i hope he doesn't talk about some of those songs like (laughs) not because they're bad but because like i don't feel like that's me anymore I feel like the only song that was like gave me a '90s vibe was Pink Skies. That was like the biggest one. Really? Yeah. Pink I feel Skies, like most people think most of my music's '90s sounding. No, Divine Intervention had no type of '90s sound. And then uh, we met during what Disposable? Was that the one? Dreamcatcher. Dream Earlier, Catcher. yeah. Dreamcatcher, you're right. I my first high budget video. Yeah, I was there. Dreamcatcher. I actually rewatched the video last night. Or it might have been Thursday. Dreamcatcher. Yeah. Um, Shout out to Parker Foster. Visual Season SZN, everybody. Check him out. Shout out to Parker. Yeah. Um, That's that's when I met you. You're right. That was like, what, a year ago? A year and a half. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's been a minute. (laughs) Yeah, that was honestly, like, that was such an interesting experience for me. Like, I wrote that song years ago. I was like 20 or 19 when I wrote that song. And um, just making the video, like, it was my first real like example of trying to create a storyline, and so it didn't really come across the best that I could have. But you know, I'm really glad that I had Dreamcatcher as like a warm up to Disposable because I feel like Disposable was just really good. I'm so proud of that like video. But Dreamcatcher was like the appetizer or like the warm up, the practice round. Why do you say that from Dreamcatcher to Disposable? Because when Disposable came around, me and Parker knew each other already, so we were like, okay, like same old, same old. Between Dreamcatcher and uh, Disposable, we had both really succeeded in some things, you know. I was out here making a new project, I was, you know, doing my thing. 
And um, Parker had worked with Beyonce and just random like amazing people. And he was like getting real sharp with his edits and I was getting more solid in my like creative mm -hmm. like explanations. It's hard to explain your brain sometimes. And um, it's hard for the directors. Oh God. And so we were like, I was like, okay, so, and I had to really break down the walls because Disposable was about something very real in my life and it was very intense. And I was like, I had to like be like, okay, so I see myself in a tub and I see myself getting pushed in and then I'm in a pool. And he was like, no, that's hot. That's a dope idea. And we did it. And like, we just shot, we had a ton of phone meetings back and forth, back and forth. Flew him out, flew his camera crew out. He brought in lighting team. We had like four or five locations. We spent, we went, we went in on that shit and he did an incredible job. Like, I'm so proud of that project, but we, it wouldn't have happened like that if we hadn't had Dreamcatcher to practice and get mm -hmm. familiar with each other. Because Dreamcatcher was really good. I thought it was like really good. When, I think it's good too, but I it doesn't you, get a lot of views and I can see why. When I noticed the views, I was like, I'm lost or like people not seeing the vision of what was going on. I don't think they were, but also I didn't see the vision for myself yet. Really? Yeah, and the song was not, the song wasn't as like good as it could have been. Like I just wanted a project out when I was putting my first project out. I just wanted songs out. I thought that making it was putting your songs on iTunes. Oh. Okay. So like, I threw it out there. Dreamcatcher's really Dreamcatcher's always been my least popular song, and that's okay. I feel like, like that one was like maybe your most personal song, at least to me. That like touched. Honestly, on I think I was being fake Tumblr. <laughs> like oh, metaphorical Dreamcatcher. Oh my gosh, like it's so symbolic. Fake deep. I was so fake deep and fake I take old. my comments back then. It's not deep. You know what? I'm, you know, I'm not even going to let you gas me for Dreamcatcher. Gas me for Disposable, please. Like, I'm telling you, like, it's, it was, that was way, Disposable was like the breakthrough. Like, mm -hmm. I'm telling you, Disposable changed everything for me and it started at the beginning of this year and I'm telling you, 2017, I never looked back. Mm -hmm. Ever. Even putting out projects, like, crazy. Which is good. Mm -hmm. And I like it. Um, I want to talk on like one last thing of music. That's Bay. It came out a while ago, of course. Twenty sixteen, like uh September, I think. Yeah, something like that. Um, yeah. I was just playing it outside. I already heard it. But yeah, how did that come about? Mm. Yeah, Dexter Clardy, um, this is a good friend of mine, and um, we were in a group together. Um, I mentioned it earlier in the podcast. Um, a group I sang with called Soul Review, and we were ten vocalists. And we had instrumentation, and uh, that's where I made all of my first real big connections. So shout out to Soul Review, check them out, IU. And um, Dexter and I always sounded really good together. Um, Dexter is an incredible singer. Like, I have no shame admitting he's way better than I am, and that's totally cool. And um, we just have our, you know, our strengths. Like, I'm a dancer, he's a rapper. You know, I can, I, he, we both write, but I tend to write more, I guess. Just things like that. Anyways, I knew I wanted to do a song with Dexter. I wanted it originally on the first project, but I got impatient. And I had wrote a song. Oh, had wrote. My mom's going to kill me. Had written a song. <laughs> and um, Dexter was, he was fucking with it. He was like, oh, this is hot. You know, cool, cool. And so I'm sure on my iCloud, I still have the original of us, like, singing, like, the demo for it. But we didn't know what we wanted to do with the production. At the time, I was like, I want... I was really into acid rap by Chance the Rapper, and I was like, or and I was like, wow, like I really want like some kind of like Chance the Rapper vibe to it, just really colorful, and I wanted to have more of a hip hop vibe to it, mm -hmm. but I didn't know how to do that because I was writing songs at the time and trying to get productions to songs I'd written. Very complicated process, and I was getting, you know, I paid for a producer to do something, and it, it just didn't turn out how I wanted it. It was like 
I don't even. I never kept. I never kept the audio for it because I just didn't like it that much. But it was a good production. They were a good producer. It just wasn't it. Um, eventually, I was at work one day, like a months later, and I was listening to "Real Love" by Mary J. Blige, and I was like, "That, that's what I want. I want that. Like, real love. I'm searching for a real love." And uh, it's an amazing song. But... Oh yes. Oh my gosh. But that beat, you know. Which is actually a sample of itself from another song. Really? Yeah, I didn't know that either. But um, I sent it to Dexter. I was like, yo, man, you must be tripping. You must be crazy. I was yeah. wondering where I had heard this like, type of beat from. Yeah, it's real love. And so I called up Matt Babineau. He produced Dreamcatcher, Code Red, and That's Bay for me. So he's been producing quite a bit of stuff for you. Yeah, he actually produced a track on this new album called Roller Coaster. Um, it's the last song on the album, so... Speak about the albums. I mean, <laughs> man, we went this whole time and you didn't speak about the album. Talk about ah, it. That's because I'm so excited because I was editing Divine Intervention and I'm so excited about that video. The album is called T.O. I'm pushing it out as soon as possible. I'm not going to be foolish about it, though. We have an album cover. Do we have a release date? No, not a release date for this. Okay, um, okay. I'm looking for October... We might have to push it to November. You know, funds run low sometimes. Got to pay my rent. But um, do you really? Do we really have to pay the rent? Do we really? <laughs> yes. Um, not trying to be homeless with a projects that no one's gonna buy. Um, we're in a streaming world now. So okay, there's like approximately eleven to twelve tracks. Okay. There's audio from 1996 between me and my mom. Um, where I um, where it's the intro and the outro and um, it's basically like it like really ties into the album really well because I talk about myself being Tio and um, my mom we're talking about how we're gonna sing some songs and stuff like that so it really works. Um, what else? It's very sexual. It's a it's a liberation album so it's very there's a lot of sex involved. There's a lot of mental health um, references involved. There's a lot of vulnerability about love involved. Um, it's the perfect blend I think of confidence and vulnerability. Um, I kind of rap a little bit on it. What? Um, L.A. Van Gogh um, is going to do a feature on it. Um, I sent him the song already. He just has to drop it. Um, I hope he actually... I, I know he's going to do it, but you never know. I don't want to like give people false hope if something doesn't work out. Mm -hmm. But L.A. Van Gogh is expected to be on it. Um, what else? I'm probably going to do one last single after Divine Intervention and another single in a video, but it'll probably be, probably be in the winter. Um, like in January or February, and mm -hmm. then um, I'm going to be probably working on an EP after that. Um, what else? Let's see. Should I just... I mean, I don't want to put out the song names, all of them yet, because no, 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 I, I want to do the track to. list. Um, I want to put out the track list first, like when I announce the album, but... Yeah. Um, I'm just really excited about this project. It's really R&B. I'm but excited about it. It's really R&B in like the best way possible. It's like not... I don't think it takes from anybody's art artistics like... I don't think it takes from people's artistic talents. I, I feel, feel like, like you got your own style. That's the thing. But the thing is, I'm so inspired. Like, I've, I mean, I can tell you people that inspired me on this album. I was inspired by Kehlani. I was inspired by The Weeknd. I was okay. inspired by Escape. I was inspired by Ooh. Eric Benet. I was inspired by Maxwell so much on this project. I was inspired by Janet Jackson. Okay. Um, what else was I inspired by? Beyonce, always Beyonce. Usher, Gallant. Oh my gosh. Um, I Justin Bieber at one point, he inspired me a little bit. Miguel, it always inspires me. Um, Division, oh, I love Division. Craig David, what else, what else, what else? I've been inspired by so many different talents because it's just like, there's so many flavors in music and I, oh, like, sometimes I just look at a video 
in like one frame, well, I'll just be like, that's a frame, like that's a shot right there, like that's a le- like there's just like a, a way that it conveys, like I fuck with that, mm-hmm. and like I always want to have like some, I always want that in my music, I always want that like, there's something about it. It's called an if factor. Tony Braxton is who I say has an if factor, and I'm a big Tony Braxton fan. So you know, she has a great voice, very sultry, very sexy. Um, some people might say her sister Tamar is a better singer. That's up for debate. But Tony has what you would call the effector. Like she hits notes in ways that nobody else can. You know, how are you calling me home? home? Why you not at home? home? You know, like nobody sings like her. I mean, I need to bake her a little, but Tony Braxton has the effector, and I want to capitalize on my effector. Yes, I sing. Yes, I dance. Yes, I write. Yes, I co-produce. Yes, I co-mix. Yes, I manage myself. But that's not what's going to sell me. What's going to sell me is sheer charisma and relatability. People aren't stupid anymore. You know, the general public back in the day would buy anything. They would buy Elvis's hound dog thing and Elvis made the song when really a black woman did. But, you know, nowadays we're smarter. We listen to so much music and we listen to everything that the labels are pushing us. And we listen to the things that, you know, underground people are making in their basements. And so we're smart, meaning... We want to listen to what we feel and what's genuine and what's real and raw and what we relate to. We don't want to listen to shit that's fed to us on the radio. That's why no one's listening to the radio anymore. So I don't want to – I want to create maybe a radio structure for my songs because it's comfortable. It has a story pattern and I believe in a traditional you know, point of conflict climax resolution in my songs. But if I ain't talking about shit or if it's force fed or if it's manufactured and my voice is auto-tuned to the gods – no one's going to fuck with it because everyone's doing that shit. That's true. So when I'm in the studio, I'm like humanize my voice a little bit more. Yeah, we're going to need to throw in a little Melodyne or Autotune for the layering so it fits. But like, let's add some more parts. You know, I, I, we're always having to like restart the programs because I put so many layers on the songs because I, I, I love that shit. Like, you know, how are you going to have the end of a song and it's just going to be the same level that it was in the beginning? Mm-hmm. My songs in this album are going to climax, all of them. And I climax them in different ways. I don't like to do duplicates. I don't like to make rehashes. So, you know, look forward to, like, listening to an album that's very, you know, sequenced, cohesive, but every song has an identity and a story. Oh, my gosh. This is, like, amazing. <laughs> I'm glad you like it, man. Oh I'll, I'll play you some stuff when I turn when we turn this off. <laughs> table with Taylor Gray. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm so excited right now. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm excited too. You know, my um, first real interview, I guess. Thank, so thank you. Seriously. Thank you. Thank you for being on, man. Always, man. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, 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 it was a pleasure. Thank you.